Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Good morning. Thank you for joining us in worship today. This is Palm Sunday, a very unusual Palm Sunday. Never experienced um, this season like we have right now. And I know I'm not alone. I have other pastor friends that are just not comfortable with being separated from the people that we love and ministering in, in closeness to one another. And I'm glad that you are, are tuning in as individuals or as families. Uh, we've been studying through John's gospel in different, we've been looking at different individuals. This morning, our study is going to be from John chapter 12, looking at John's account of what was known as the triumphant entry, but it really was anything but triumphant. Now, John's presentation of this uh, account was unique to the other gospel writers. He's much less concerned with the details, much more concerned with the theological emphasis there. Let me go through with us just how the events happened. On Saturday, Jesus was anointed by Mary and Bethany. That's when Judas became furious with Jesus. That's a given in, uh, recorded in John chapter 10. Remember the, the money and the anointing of Jesus' feet, and, and we could have had that money to help the poor people, but really, Judas was just a thief. He wanted the money for himself. Jesus knew that. The disciples found that out. On Sunday, the crowds came to Jesus. He was in Bethany. This is where Lazarus was raised from the dead. That is in John chapter 11. I encourage you, maybe this week, read through John's gospel and really focus in on 11, 12, 13, through to the, to the resurrection. On Monday was Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. On Tuesday, he returned. He cleaned out the temple. On Wednesday, he engaged in controversy with the Jewish leaders. Thursday was the preparation for the Passover. Friday was the mock trial of Jesus, his crucifixion. And Saturday, his body laid lifeless in the tomb. But then came Sunday. And Jesus resurrected powerfully from the dead to live forevermore. But to go back to the triumphal entry, on that entrance, it was anything but triumphant by human standards. Now, John's concern, he wasn't concerned with communicating the finer details, all right? That's been done, as I said, by the other gospel writers. And together as a church in past years, we've looked at uh, Mark's account and we've looked at Luke's account. This is the first time for us to look at John's account. John's concern is very theological in nature. He was consumed by the importance of rightly seeing Jesus as God and responding to the Son of God with personal belief and worship. So his account is not entirely chronological, but his emphasis is theological. He constructed his gospel to make one point. Jesus is God. 
So worship him. Believe in him. John 10, Jesus is the good shepherd. He laid down his life for the sheep. In John 11, he is the resurrection and the life. He raised Lazarus from the dead. And this was the pinnacle of Jesus' miracles. However, he wasn't done yet. That wasn't the best of his miracles. The resurrection of Lazarus was a pivotal point in the ministry of Jesus and for his followers and for the enemies of Jesus. The followers of Jesus, they came to Jerusalem. They were looking for him to be crowned king of the Jews. But his enemies, they were plotting to see him murdered. They were plotting to see Lazarus put back to death. Indeed, my friend, they were truly blind. Let's read this account together. John 12, beginning in verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went out to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing? Look, the world has gone after him. Father, we need your help today as we have opened your word. For us to understand your word, we need the power of your Holy Spirit. So use me today, Lord, to minister grace to every hearer. I thank you for every person that has joined this morning, joined whatever day it is that they're watching this message. And I pray that you will bless them and you will open their understanding to see the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. If you had less than one week to live, Think about what would change about your life. Think about the conversations that you would have. Maybe a phone call that you would make. Maybe you would reach out to someone to re repair a brokenness. If you had one week to live, what would change about your thinking? As this passage unfolds, we're looking at Jesus' last earthly week his final week of ministry before the cross, before the burial and resurrection, and we catch a glimpse of what he is devoted to. And this morning, what I want to do is I want to take five different words, okay? Under five different words, organize John's thoughts. Now, as we're recording this message right now, there are over a million confirmed cases of the coronavirus, there have been more than 55,092 is the number of deaths 
due to the coronavirus. And that number continues to escalate. And beloved, we're thankful for the doctors and we're thankful for the nurses and we're thankful for the first responders and we're thankful for the scientists. But if we are going to see real change, we're thankful for leaders in our government, but it's gonna come down to us as individuals to each of us as families, to us as a church, to us as a nation, and across this planet that we're going to be able to say with these individuals, Lord, save us. We need to be rescued by God. And what we see in this passage today is helpful. Just heard a report that what is projected is one out of four small businesses will close. They will not make it through this crisis. And my prayer is that every person will not run to the darkness and run away from the light and run to air, but they will run to the truth. They will run to Jesus. They will confess Jesus as Lord and see his goodness even in this and especially in this time of trial and great suffering. Five words. The first word we see in verse 12 comes out of here, it's expectation. There was a great expectation for a savior king. The children of Israel, they had been observing the Passover for nearly 1,500 years. Many Jews, and even believing, there were even believing Gentiles who were coming and gathering, and their expectation was high as they remembered the deliverance from the past, and they waited to be delivered by a savior king. Verse 12 says, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. There were thousands of pilgrims ascending to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover one more time, one more year, another year of going through this feast. The numbers are estimated that when Passover would happen, there were, the numbers would swell in Jerusalem to somewhere around a quarter of a million people, 250,000 people, they would gather. It's been said that Jerusalem at Passover season was the delight of the Jews and the despair of the Romans. So the city would have been on high alert during this time. With all of these extra people coming into the city, their hearts are filled with excitement. There's a fervor waiting to be rid of the Roman rule, waiting to be out from under the reign and rule and authority of Caesar. So they would have been remembering Egypt and Moses and their deliverance. And they're waiting for the coming king. And the Romans would have been watching for those who were trying to commit rebellion and insurrection it had happened before, and they had punished them horrifically. And so another year comes. They're, they're watching for this Jesus. The crowds are watching. The Romans are watching. The crowds are coming in from the rural area, from Galilee. They were much more receptive to Jesus, to his message, and to his ministry. But Jerusalem, they wouldn't receive him. They wouldn't submit to Jesus of Nazareth. And my friends... To this day, 2,000 years later, on a total scale, Jerusalem has not acknowledged Jesus as their long-awaited Messiah. And we're praying for that to happen. 
in verse 13, we see our next word, and, and the word is celebration. The crowds were celebrating the coming of Jesus of Nazareth. So they took branches of palm trees, went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. The crowd made a pathway fit for a king. They were setting down palm branches in this pathway. They even placed their garments on this road in front of Jesus. They were cheering. They were crying out, Hosanna, which means save now. Save us. The crowd assigned the title of Messiah to Jesus of Nazareth, and it's taken from the the great Hallel, Psalm 118. Verse 26 says this, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of of the Lord. Make no mistake, the Jewish leaders, they knew the title that the people were ascribing to Jesus. It goes back to Exodus. It goes back to Yahweh, I am. Moses said, who shall I say sent me? And God gave him the name of the Lord. I am that I am. Yahweh, Jehovah, So by attributing this psalm to Jesus, the people were declaring him to be the anointed one, spoken of in Isaiah 9, Isaiah 11, Jeremiah 23. But here's what was different. They were assuming in celebrating the coming of the king that his deliverance would be from out from under the Roman rule, that they would be delivered from bondage to Rome. They failed to recognize the salvation before them was for their deliverance from sin's bondage and Satan's domain. And so for many of them, Christ's failure to meet their human expectations would then lead to a widespread rejection of him. Jesus' triumph was a fulfillment of the prophet Zechariah's prediction that surpassed the understanding of those chanted because his reign would not just be regional, but it would be universal, just as foretold in Zechariah 9.10. The triumph of the Lord Jesus would be spiritual, not, not political. His triumph would be light dispelling darkness, would be good, overcoming evil, love, defeating hatred, and truth, crushing error, and life, conquering death. But the crowd celebrated. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The next word we see in the verses 14, 15 would be coronation. The coronation of this Savior King. Now, John here, he skips over all of the finer points, the details that have already been given in the other Gospels about the preparation made for the donkey and the disciples going and who had the donkey and the master has need of him. And he simply summarizes it all by saying, and Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Now, this is a ride fit for a king. A king coming in humility and coming in peace, just as Solomon did in the Old Testament. 
Jesus was not coming this first time as the Romans were accustomed to. That is upon a conquering horse, a, a white horse, clothed in white as a conqueror. And you might have the, the imagery in mind of the scene in Gladiator when there's the coronation of the king returning from battle. We call this a triumphant entry, but no Roman would have seen this. This carpenter of Nazareth on a donkey with common people shouting, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Romans, this would have had their attention, but they would have dismissed this as nothing. In the Old Testament, 2 Kings 9, 13, when Jehu is anointed king, the very same thing happened. They, they threw their garments in front of him. An official Roman triumph was indeed something to behold. When a, when a Roman general came back to Rome, he would, he would come in after a complete conquest of an enemy. He would be welcomed home with an elaborate official parade. Warren Wearsby says it this way. He says, in the parade, he would exhibit his trophies of war and the illustrious prisoners he had captured. The victorious general rode in in a golden chariot. Priests burned incense in his honor, and the people shouted his name and praised him. The procession ended at the arena, where the people were entertained by watching the captives fight with the wild beasts. That was a Roman triumph. So this entry for Jesus, the Romans looking on this, they would have disdained this. The enemies of Jesus, the religious Jewish leaders, they were upset by this. They were bothered. They were angered by this. But Jesus declared himself to be king in a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy given hundreds of years before in Zechariah 9.9. And this is the first time when Jesus allowed the crowd to confess him as Messiah. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble, and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This Savior King is Jesus. And he made his way into the city that day, and all of the crowd would have been thinking, now here is our King. Now we will be returned to the glory of the kingdom of our father David, the great King David. But that's not what happened. And in verse 16, the word that we can understand what John is communicating here is confusion. And John filled in the gaps by advancing his account to after the resurrection and after the coming of the Holy Spirit. John says it this way. He says, his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. 
here's where this whole triumphant entry turns. It doesn't end with Jesus in the Colosseum and and there defeating all of his enemies and foes and crushing them. It ends with him being crushed. There's confusion about this. The Savior King did not take up his rightful position as ruler on that day. This would have been so anticlimactic for all the crowd and especially for the disciples. That's why they were characterized by confusion. We got all the way to this point, and now we're going back out to the country? Now we're going back out to the hillside? Jesus has repeatedly told his followers about the cross up to this point, but they haven't been listening. They haven't been understanding. Not yet, but they would understand. What do we know? That Jesus was born to die. In the temptation that happened in the wilderness, Satan tempted Jesus, skip the cross. Don't go the way of the cross. You don't have to suffer. I'll give you. And Jesus rejected that temptation. Now, with the cheering of the crowds, there's a temptation. Skip the cross. Take power now. Set up your kingdom now. But that's not the point, and that's not the purpose. Jesus did not abandon his mission, my friend. His eyes were fixed on Jerusalem. I want to encourage you in this this morning. There's always a purpose in our pain. There's always a point to our suffering. And it doesn't mean that we will understand all of it this side of eternity, but we can trust that God is good and he is faithful and we can look into his word and we can remember the man born blind in John 9 and Jesus says, why was he born this way? That glory to the father would be given. In John chapter 11, Lazarus was allowed to die for a reason that God would be glorified. John 11, verses 3 and 4, the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. A little later in John 11, Verses 14 and 15, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And in verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible gives to us the humanity, the compassion, the love of Christ. When John recorded, Jesus wept. Whatever you're going through right now, Jesus knows, understands, and he cares. Hebrews 4 tells us we do not have a high priest that cannot sympathize with us in our weaknesses. He understands. He was tempted in all points, just as we are tempted. Yet, here's what's different about Jesus. He was the one without sin. And he opened the way for us to have access to the Father in heaven because he laid down his life on our behalf. My friend, whatever we go through, whatever you're going through right now, we can be confident that God alone is the one who can bring good 
out of bad, who can bring what Isaiah 61.3 says, beauty from ashes. Only the Lord Jesus can do this. I wonder if you are confused about who Jesus is. I wonder if you have come to trust in him and know that he is good or if you're still deliberating. Because our fifth word from this text is division. There was division over this savior king. And this division continues to this day. It divides our entire world right now. Those who have confessed him as Lord and those who reject him. Verse 17 says the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb, raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the very thing that Martha and Mary and the disciples of Jesus were questioning, why? Why would you let your friend die? Lord, why would you let our brother die? It's the very point that Jesus would use as a pinnacle of his miracles to bring all of the focus, all of the limelight, all of the spotlight on him and his ministry and why he was put on this planet. Why he came to earth was to die. There are those who received Jesus and they kept telling about it. They kept talking about it. They kept saying, but we saw him. We were there. We heard about what happened. He raised a man who had been dead for four days. Who can do this but God? But Jesus wasn't done yet. He didn't just come for us to have resurrection and life. He came because he is the resurrection and the life. How do you kill resurrection? How do you kill life? His enemies rejected him. And we see this, this turmoil that was happening there among the Pharisees. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you're gaining nothing? You're just spinning your wheels. Like you're stuck on ice. And you're just spinning your wheels. You're not going forward. We're not gaining anything. Look, here's their, their cry of despair. The world has gone after him. We've lost it. We've lost all control. They're all going after Jesus. This division is true today. There are those who receive Jesus and there are those who reject Jesus. I want to give an assignment to our kids. All of our kids who are maybe somewhere up until if you can read or memorize up about the fifth grade, I want to put you on assignment this week, early in the week, maybe even today or tomorrow. Parents, Video record, use your phone. Take a video of your children reading Isaiah 53. And the, actually start with Isaiah 52, the final two verses, and read Isaiah 53. And next week, when we again, we gather on Resurrection Sunday, we're gonna hear from the, the lips of our children the reading of the suffering servant who is despised and rejected of men. So as many as we can use, we're going to send out information on how you can get that submitted back to us. 
but we want to hear from our children reading this passage, Isaiah 53, the last two verses of Isaiah 52. Read the whole passage, and we'll put it all together, and we'll get to hear and rejoice in the suffering servant next Sunday, God willing, as we celebrate the resurrection. At this point, the division in this, it's become settled. The religious leaders will see to it that Jesus will be put to death. Now they're after Lazarus. They want him dead too. They don't want any testimony bearing witness to Jesus or any of his followers. The religious leaders were frustrated by their inability to stop Jesus. So rather than bowing, rather than submitting to Jesus, the Savior King, instead they became more doubled down in their efforts to destroy him. Now here is my concern. As we are walking through this global crisis, my concern is for the countless number of people who have been given an opportunity for their life as normal to stop and for you to search out who is Jesus and what claim does he have on my life personally. And all of us have been living and all of these things have been priorities in our life. I can't tell you how many people claim the name of Christ and they know Hebrews 10 and 26 and it says to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but sports have come in the way and working, and a job, and entertainment, and we got to go on this travel ball here, and we got to go there, and everything has come in and pressed out, worshiping Christ with your brothers and sisters in the gathered assembly, and now it's taken from us. And my concern is, is that many people are just waiting to get back to life known as the American dream, get back to doing what I do, going where I go, and you will miss this gracious and merciful opportunity that we are all faced with, and that is our own mortality, that we will succumb to sickness, and one day we will breathe our final breath, and this is your opportunity to go from being one who rejects Jesus to one who receives Jesus. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 21, 44. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. There he's describing the person who receives Jesus, falling on him and pleading for mercy and finds him to be the one who forgives. Then there's the other group that Jesus speaks of, that when this stone falls on anyone, it will crush him. That's the person who dies rejecting Jesus that instead of then finding him to be savior, they only will meet him in judgment as judge, as the king. Friend, which person are you? The one who has received Jesus or are you one who is rejecting Jesus? And my prayer is that today you would humbly bow down and confess Jesus as your savior king. One of the movies, The Return of the King, J.R.R. Tolkien, the whole scene in that movie, it's just hopeless. And it looks like evil is gonna win, that good is going to be drowned out, destroyed. But there was a promise 
that the king would return, the rightful heir to the throne. We hear in the words of J.R.R. Tolkien, and he says, he says that thus came Aragorn, son of Arathorn, Elisar, Isildur's heir, out of the paths of the dead, born up, born upon a wind from the sea to the kingdom of Gondor. And he came to conquer. And he came the rightful heir to the throne, the rightful person to bear the sword. And in that scene, deliverance is granted and peace is given. But that's all a lesser story of what Tolkien was pointing, what he was pointing to in Jesus being the Savior King. So let's look at these words. The five words, expectation, they waited in expectation, longing for deliverance. Celebration, Jesus, Hosanna, save us. Coronation, they're waiting. This is our king. Now we'll be delivered. And then he goes out of the city and doesn't set up his reign and doesn't set up his rule and there's confusion. And then there's division that continues to this day. Who is this Jesus? Is he worthy of my life? When he rose from the dead, he validated his claim that he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. And I return back to what I said about John the apostle, the apostle of love and why he wrote the gospel and why he wrote the epistles to the church. It's communicated so clearly in 1 John five thirteen. John said, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may believe, that you may know that you have eternal life. My friend, have you come to believe, personally trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? We're given the word of God so that it's not that we hope we have eternal life, we think we might have eternal life, we hope we've done enough good. We can't do enough good. We're all sinners. We all deserve judgment. These things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. My friend, do you know that? Maybe in the quietness of this moment, you would hear God speaking to you by his spirit through his word. And you would cry out, a simple prayer of admitting that you're a sinner. Just owning up, God, I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me of my sin. And you would do what Matthew described in Matthew 21, what Jesus said, fall on Christ. Plead the blood. Trust in Jesus. The Bible says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can know that you have life that never ends because Jesus, the Savior King, he came and he died. And next Sunday, we will celebrate, God willing, he lives and he lives forevermore. My friend, if you've prayed this prayer or if we can pray with you, I want you to connect with us. 
uh, send an email to our office. Um, please subscribe to our YouTube channel so you get all of the updates. We want to stay connected. We want to know how we can pray for you and minister effectively in this time of being separated. But know this, that if you belong to Christ, he gave us the promise, I will never leave you and never forsake you. So you are not alone. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for your grace and thank you for the cross and thank you for the Savior King who is Jesus. As we think and we reflect upon the day when you, Lord Jesus, entered that city and the prophecies were fulfilled that the Savior King had come, but all of the confusion that abounded from that, but then when you laid down your life and you took it back up again and your spirit came, The disciples understood, now we know. This is our only hope. It's the gospel, and you are so good, and I thank you for the gospel, and I thank you for those who are listening today, and I pray that our hearts are open and that you give us the ability to respond in faith and follow you as Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.